If we say we're looking at the biblical worldview, and we are, uh, because in fact what we're doing is looking at uh, many worldviews and how they compare and contrast with the biblical worldview, uh, which we have set kind of as our foundation as we began last week. Last week we looked at naturalism. And this week, uh, we're going to look at both atheism and agnosticism together. And as we do, I'd like to uh, look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 as we get started, just to be thinking about this as we kind of evaluate this worldview and all that it holds, all that it proposes. Okay, so that's Hebrews 11. I have it on the screen for you as well. It's just a few verses. Okay, and I have some things highlighted. I actually have more highlighted than not highlighted, so I don't know how, how good that is actually, but we'll see. So uh, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, look at what it says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, you know this, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We know this. We know this. Let's just look a little bit about what it's saying. Faith, which is being commended here, right? That's how the people of old received their commendation. It's a good thing. Some people have called Hebrews 11, of course, the hall of faith. Uh, but it's, it's all about uh, all these people who had faith and how it was a good thing and how um, we ought to have faith. We ought to look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So faith is being spoken of here in an incredibly positive way. You couldn't talk about faith in any more positive way than it's being spoken of here. Just want to say that first. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, faith is a conviction that something that you do not see is actually there. Something that you hope for, but you haven't yet laid hold of, and you believe it firmly, that's faith. It's a good thing. And it says, for by this, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. And by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Now, some people might say, and we just need to make sure that we all are on the same page, is why do you believe that the universe was created by God and not by something else? You say, well, the Bible says so. And for us, that's sufficient. Right? Not only does the Bible say so, but based on that, I look around and it seems pretty evident to me that that is indeed the case. But why do you believe what the Bible says? It is by faith. By faith, we understand. Listen to that wording. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Why do we believe that the universe was created by the word of God? Well, the Bible says so. Why do you believe that to be true? Because I have faith. I didn't see it. I didn't see the world come into existence, did you? Did you see the universe come into existence? No. None of us did. No one did. But we believe that God did. In fact, we believe that God did it all. 
says that in Scripture. Why do you believe that? Well, I believe it for a reason, not for not a reason. I actually have a reason. I believe it, and I have faith in that reason. The Word of God says it to be the case. I have faith in something. And, in, in fact, I also have hope in something that faith in something that has yet to be revealed. So I have faith looking backward at at several things, actually. I have faith looking backwards that God actually did all that he said he did. I have faith looking backwards that Jesus was who he said he was and and did what he said he did, and all that's true. I, I have faith looking backwards, but I also have faith looking forward. I have faith in something that has yet to come. So I have faith back here, and then I have hope up here, but it's also faith but it's hope because I haven't yet laid hold of it. So we are those people who have faith, conviction of things unseen. And that's a positive thing. For without faith, what do we have? Without faith, what do you have? The honest answer for us, knowing, is we have absolutely nothing without faith. We have nothing. Now, We're about to look at two worldviews that says that is so absurd that you have faith in something. Something that you can't see, hear, touch, measure, test. How could you? And so we're going to look together tonight at both atheism and agnosticism These are very popular worldviews, very popular worldviews. You will encounter people who have this worldview. A lot of of celebrities celebrities are either atheists or agnostics. Uh, It's a popular worldview. It's a popular belief system, if you want to call it that. A lot of them wouldn't, but it is, and it's a belief system or an anti-belief system, which is a belief in nothing. So it is a belief system, okay? So uh, let's just remember our categories, okay? Major worldview categories, we divided them for our purposes, right, into supernatural worldviews and to uh, philosophical worldviews. So just a question. Does atheism and agnosticism, those two belief systems, are those supernatural worldviews or are they philosophical worldviews? Philosophical worldviews, yes, not supernatural worldviews, okay? So go to that next one. So these are under the category here. So supernatural worldviews include theism, uh, which is a belief in a personal God, right, which there's more than one. Deism, which is a belief in a God, but he's not a personal God. Polytheism, many gods. Pantheism, God is everything. Panentheism, God is in everything. Uh, (coughs) Animism and paganism, okay? And then next, we have philosophical worldviews, naturalism, materialism, humanism, we looked at last week. And then atheism and agnosticism we're looking at together tonight. And the reason we're doing so, I didn't anticipate doing so, but the reason we're doing so is because I believe that the, the, the best way to understand them, in my opinion, is to look at them together and compare and contrast them. Because it's when you see how they're different that you actually come to understand what they actually are. So that's what I'd like to do tonight. And it's not complicated. The words make it seem complicated, but it's not complicated. It's actually very simple to understand the basic premise of each. Religions in the U.S., why are we looking at this? Uh, Christianity, remember 
That's between both Protestants and Catholics, which make up 63%. The nuns, 16%. Agnosticism, 6%. Atheism, 5%. Okay? And then it just goes down from there. Um, these worldviews that are philosophical worldviews, that is the nuns, agnosticism and atheism are only on the rise. All three of these categories are only on the rise, okay? Um, especially with the new generations coming up, um, it is going to be a complete, this 63% is going away. I mean, you have to know that. That 63% is going away. Uh, being in the South and being in the rural South, we're going to be the last to feel its detrimental effects. That's just kind of how it works, but the effects are coming, and they're coming quickly. So you are going to be running into more and more and more and more people who are holding the worldviews that we're talking about. So it's good that we understand what angle they're coming. Why do you think that way? We need to at least understand some of their thought processes so that we can have intelligent conversation with them and be able to share Christ with them in a way that's intelligible to them. Okay. So, in really basic terms, what are we talking about when we talk about atheism and agnosticism? In the simplest terms, atheism is, you have that prefix, ah, right, which is no or none. Theism, no God. Uh, so, God does not exist. That's what atheism is at its core. Agnosticism, uh, that prefix, ah, no, and then gnosis, knowledge, no knowledge. So, it means it is uncertain. I have no knowledge of whether God exists or not. That's what agnosticism is. Okay, so atheism, God does not exist. That's it, final. Agnosticism would say it is uncertain whether God exists or does not exist. Okay? Now, we're going to kind of zoom in a little bit and see what exactly is going on here. Okay? The atheist says there is lack of proof for God and therefore I do not believe in God. But the agnostic would say it is impossible for anyone to know whether God exists or not. So understand the difference between the two. Okay, the atheist says there is lack of proof for God. I see no evidence for God. Therefore, I conclude God does not exist. That's the atheist. The agnostic looks at the situation and says, hmm, it's impossible to know. I, I can't either prove or disprove God's existence. Therefore, I don't know, we don't know. It's impossible to know. I don't know. No knowledge, right? That is the basis of agnosticism. Okay, the person who coined the term agnostics, uh, agnostic or agnosticism is a guy named T.H. Huxley, and he lived between 1825 and 1895, just to give you some kind of you know, view of where these, these, these things are coming from. And he said this, agnosticism is of the essence of science. Whether ancient or modern, it, is simp it simply means that a man shall not say he knows or believes that which he has no scientific grounds for professing to know or to believe. Okay, does this make sense, what he's saying? Um, agnosticism is the essence of science. However, unlike an atheist who is a naturalist, because you remember there's overlap. Unlike the atheist who is a naturalist, the agnostic looks at the evidence and science and says, it is uncertain. Science has neither proven nor disproved 
the existence of God. Therefore, we cannot know. That's what agnosticism says. Now, there is a man uh, by the name of Richard Dawkins, okay? Just out of curiosity, who is familiar with the name Richard Dawkins in the room? Oh, good. Okay, several of you. Okay, so Richard Dawkins wrote a book that you probably are familiar with called The God Delusion. In that book, he uh, suggests a spectrum of sorts, and this is my interpretation of that information. He suggests a spectrum of agnosticism, and I'm going to share that spectrum of agnosticism with you, okay? So it moves from, on one side, a number one is a strong theist, and then all the way on the other side of the spectrum is a strong atheist. Right in the middle, number four, is a pure agnostic, okay? So I'm going to give you just one sentence definition of each of these positions, but understand that to say I'm an agnostic, if, if someone says to you, let me guess, just let me just ask this question. Has anyone in the room ever encountered a person that said, I'm an agnostic? Just flat out said it. I have. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know, maybe a quarter of the room. Okay. So um, you have to dig deeper because that's, that, that's too big of a blanket. Just to say I'm an agnostic, you say, okay, what type of agnostic are you? Because they're not all the same. It's a spectrum. What is this spectrum? Okay, let's look at it. Number one, a strong theist. A strong theist is, in fact, not an agnostic. A strong theist would be what you and I are. I do not question the existence of God. I know he exists. Correct? That's where we are. We're way over there. Where is the atheist? As far from us as possible. Right? I think this is correct. I think it's a great way of viewing this. Now, Richard Dawkins is an atheist, by the way. This is not a godly man writing this. It's a man looking at the philosophy of it. And I think this is a great explanation of it. He understands it, actually. He understands it well. He knows. Okay, so I do not question the existence of God. I know that he exists. That's us. Okay, so moving on, a de facto theist. What is number two? I cannot know for certain, but I strongly believe in God. Now, you know these people. You know them. You know them well. And they call themselves Christians. But when push comes to shove, what do you hear come out of their mouth? What do you see them actually doing in reality? They're acting like this. I'm going to share with you what this is after we look at this spectrum here, but I, I cannot know for certain, but I strongly believe in God. I, of all the alternatives out there, I just, I can't get away. My heart pulls at the, that the, the faith that, that I grew up with. The, you know, when I was a child and I grew up as a Christian, I just, I can't pull myself away from it completely. I know I'm a Christian. I just, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know God exists, but you know this person. A de facto theist moving weaker and weaker from the theistic position on this spectrum. Okay, next, the weak theist. You can even get weaker than that, yeah. I'm very uncertain, I'm very uncertain, uh, but I'm inclined to believe that uh, God exists. I, I'm inclined to believe in God. Okay, do you know this person? 
they're, they're even a little bit further detached from it. They're not as convinced. But at the end of the day, if you're making me choose, I suppose that I'm more inclined to believe in God than to not believe in God. Which God are we talking about? The God of the Bible? Uh, I mean, maybe. Maybe. I don't, I don't agree with everything that's in there. I think maybe there is a God. I don't know if, you know, I don't believe that the Bible is the word of God or anything. But I, yeah, I mean, I believe in a God. Okay? Number four, the pure agnostic. God's existence and non-existence are exactly equiprobable. I mean, you don't use that word. Nobody uses that word. Um, it means there is equal probability that either God exists or does not exist. It is 100% equal. You see how that's right? We're balancing right in the middle. Does God exist? I don't know. Does God not exist? I don't know. Which one are you inclined to believe? Does God exist or not? I don't know. I'm purely in the middle. I don't know. But, wh but what side do you lean towards? I don't know. Do you get the idea of this person? I can't choose. I'm right in the middle. Okay. Number five, the weak agnostic. I do not know whether God exists, but I am inclined to be skeptical. We know this person too. I'm really not sure. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if God exists or not, but I really doubt it. I, I doubt it. I'm, I'm inclined to be skeptical toward the whole thing, but I don't know. What do you have to say? I'm interested. Now, agnostics are very interested in your information. That's actually encouraging, isn't it? Agnostics are on the search for knowledge. Why? Because they don't have any. That's, that's the whole basis of their worldview. I have no knowledge. I'm on the search forever for it. Give me. I want, it. I want all the knowledge I can possibly get. So maybe someday, maybe, maybe humanity will arrive at knowledge and will finally know. Some agnostics believe one day humanity will finally know. But there are some agnostics who say, no, 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 no. We can never know. So what kind of agnostic are you? That's why you got to... But what do you really believe about reality and existence? Where are we exactly? Okay, number six, the de facto atheist. I cannot know for certain, but I think that God is very improbable. It is more likely the case that God does not exist than him actually existing. Okay, we're comfortable with the spectrum now, right? We get it. Now, so what is the atheist? I'm 100% sure that there is no God. I know for a fact that there is no God. My belief is a disbelief. I do not believe in God. Final. So do you see then how the atheist is different than the agnostic? I'm hoping to make it, because in a, in a lot of things that I, have, that I have seen, that I have read, that I have listened to, the common thing that agnostics are perturbed about is that many people think that atheists and agnostics are kind of the same thing. And to talk to an agnostic, someone who sees themselves as, you know, on a quest for knowledge, somewhat intelligent, um, that if you think they're an atheist, then they already know that you don't know enough to even be in conversation with them. They're not going to listen to you. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So it's good for us to understand that the people out in this world, some of them really do have narrowed down, very narrow, very narrow belief. It's not just this big blanket. Now, for some it is. 
but some go deeper. So likewise, do you know some Christians who they have a blanket idea of what Christianity is? It's just like, I'm like a generic Christian. I'm like a Christian radio Christian, you know? I'm just, that's what I am. Whatever the song says, that's what I believe. You know, that's, that's the kind of Christian I am. It's just very generic. Um, but then there are some who are, no, 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 uh, I don't believe that, that, that little, that one word you said right there, Let, I'm going to change that word because that's not quite exactly how I understand it. You know, and so we're very, very nuanced in our Christianity. Likewise with agnostics and atheists. It can get very detailed. Okay, so to paint a broad picture of Christianity and someone to label you with that, it could be offensive, right? To paint another person with a broad stroke is offensive to them. So we need to be careful not to do that. Aren't we supposed to be respectable, respectful when we share the gospel with someone, but to do it with gentleness and respect? Always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you, but do it how? With gentleness and respect. Respect someone that just slapping a label on them, agnostic, atheist. That's not the point of what we're doing. But we're saying different people have different thoughts. And so to an agnostic, you would not want to say, oh, you're an agnostic? I know everything about you then. No. But to know an agnostic would be to say, oh, really? That's very interesting to me. Oh, tell me a little bit more about specifically how you understand things. That's the kind of question that piques the interest of an agnostic because now they want to tell you some of the knowledge that they do have and how they understand things as they see it. Now they're interested, right? Now they want to be in conversation with you because you're respecting their position from that point, right? Okay. So there is the agnostic spectrum. Keep that in mind. A couple other things to keep in mind as we continue on the conversation. There is such a thing as weak agnosticism and strong agnosticism. And I kind of want to look at those together. Uh, strong agnosticism would say, uh, and I referenced this earlier, is that um, knowledge of God's existence is unknowable forever. We will never, ever, ever know. You will never know. Humanity will never know. That's one type of agnostic. That, that's a strong agnosticism. But a weak agnosticism would say, no, it's just currently unknowable. Humanity is, is going to arrive there someday. So they're interested in having conversations that will help them to arrive. So could you see then how having conversation with an agnostic actually could prove very beneficial to them? because they actually are on a quest for knowledge. Now, before we started this conversation, and maybe you didn't know, it, would it be intimidating and maybe threatening to talk to an agnostic? I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know how mad they're going to be at me. Agnostics are not militant. They are not aggressive, generally. No, people are people, right? I, I don't know. But generally speaking, agnostics... Some of them could care less. Okay, sure, we'll talk. You know, okay. And they may say, okay, that's your view. You know, that's okay. But they're willing to have the conversation. Open doors are great for us. Open doors are wonderful for us. Because we get to put the word of God in there. Right? Do we want people to hear the word of God? But do we want to enter into conversation and not necessarily slam the door closed with a disrespectful comment to their face? Or slam the door closed on a relationship with someone. What if there's someone that you have a, like you continually run into the same person over and over. 
a neighbor, a coworker, or someone, some place that you go regularly to buy things or something, and you slam the door closed on a relationship by disrespect, so now they will never talk to you when you come in. You walk in the door, they've turned their back, right? Or what's better, to keep that conversation going so that you might let them see the way of Christ in your life, and you might continue to speak the gospel to them, right? There is much to be said about sharing the gospel with, um, with gentleness and respect. Now, the gospel is offensive in word, but we ourselves are not to deliver it um, in such a way that is disrespectful to them, right? Now, if the truth of the gospel cuts them to the heart, so let it be. I hope that it does, because if the gospel doesn't cut you to the heart, it's not going to save you. Right? We know that. Okay. Uh, next. <clears throat> Likewise, there is something called agnostic theism. And you say, how can that possibly be? Put those two things together. Agnostic theism? What in the world could that even possibly be? I'm not sure. I don't really know the answers, but I believe uh, that was on the spectrum. But I think it's just... I think it's more helpful for us to actually label this thing as agnostic theism because I believe this is, agnostic theism is the deconstructionist Christian. Um, if, we can, if we can label that whole movement, it's, I'm not sure, I know that it's not that, but I, I do believe, so I don't believe in that, but I can't not believe in God. I do believe in God. So what kind of God can I believe in? Let's deconstruct that and reconstruct it to look like something we can believe in. That's an agnostic theist. And that type of Christianity, if you want to call it that, is also on the rise. Why? Because agnosticism itself is on the rise. So more and more things that you hear, books being published, YouTube channels, podcasts, churches, all this type of stuff, agnostic theism is rising. Okay, uh, agnostic atheism, I don't really know, but I know that I don't believe. I don't, I'm, not, I, I'm not absolutely 100% sure about much, but I guess I'm sure enough to say that I don't believe in God. So do you see how there's like slightly a little open door for an agnostic atheist? It's weird to say that, I know. It's weird to like, these terms are very different, but how do they converge? Because an atheist says, I don't believe in God. Are you 100% sure? No, but I don't believe in God. Are you sure? No. A strong atheist, a pure atheist would say, uh, do you believe in God? No. Are you sure? Absolutely. But an agnostic atheist would say, I don't believe in God, but I'm not sure about that. Okay? <laughs> Make enough sense to move on? Okay. All right, next. Uh, agnostics are more open-minded. They would say something like, there are smart people on both sides of the issue. That's what an agnostic would admit. I heard many throughout this week admit that very thing. You know, they would say, I, I, I have some quotes here. I think you'll like this. Okay. Um, a, a quote here. Uh, this is from a bunch of different uh, agnostics. Okay. Uh, there are some smart people who believe on both sides. Okay. Both sides of what? Of belief in God and, and that belief in God that Belief that God does exist and belief that God does not exist. That's what they mean. Um, I really don't know the best solution. That's what an agnostic would say. 
I'm scared to make a choice and convince myself to believe in something that isn't true. An agnostic would say that. Did say that. We've not yet arrived at a place where we can know enough about the universe to address the questions of origins. We don't even know how to ask the right questions. See, we're asking the question, does God exist? That's not even the right question, probably. But I don't know. <laughs> right? Uh, there's another thought in agnosticism that says that the history of science keeps moving the curtain back. So you take this from the Wizard of Oz analogy, right? So it, behind the curtain is the unknown, right? Okay, what's in front of the curtain is known. What's behind the curtain is unknown. What they're saying is that science takes and moves the curtain back and continues to reveal more and more truth, right? That's what science does, in their opinion. Some people will say, and one day, all will be revealed by science. Others say, no, the curtain will continue to move back forever and we'll never know all there is to know. Depends on what kind of agnostic you are, right? Um, most, uh, most agnostics are indifferent. They don't like the idea of false comforts and false certitude. Okay, atheists, on the other hand, um, are more closed-minded, and they would say something like, we are the intelligent ones. They would say something like this, a direct quote from Richard Dawkins. The higher one's intelligence or educational level, the less one is likely to be religious. Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins also says, we need a coming out campaign for American atheists because the term atheist has a negative connotation, what other term can we use to sweeten the pill? So basically he's saying, um, people are against us and I know they're a lot more atheists than are actually saying they're atheists, so let's just go ahead and say it already. We need a coming out campaign. Let's just show the world that we're atheists already. And he's saying, but no, we're too afraid because Christianity still has the majority. But he says, no, let's, uh, let's stop that. In fact, he said, let's stop being polite. Let's come out and let's say so. Let's say that we despise religion. Okay, more to be said on that, but I do want to end um, with just two passages quickly for our reference and just kind of for our, our evaluation. I hope that in contrasting the two, maybe we have a better idea of what both believe and kind of maybe how they might have some overlap, Okay. But in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17, it says this, and I do have it on the screen for you. Um, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Is Paul painting this in a negative way, that if you have been acquainted with something from a child, that it has, you know, negatively warped you. So, um, you know, you're only a Christian because your parents were Christians, you know, that kind of thing. You're only a Christian because you were born in the United States. If you were born somewhere else, you wouldn't have been a Christian. So proof. Paul's not painting that negatively, is he? You see, it's a good thing. Train your children up in the scriptures. That's a good thing. Uh, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay. Uh, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
Now, what you may or may not know about this particular passage that you're already familiar with is that what this says is that the word of God, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It's profitable for us. Uh, that the man of God may be complete, that is proficient and capable. Not what you would expect. I expected actually the word teleos to be there, which is the word for mature, right? That you might be full, that you might come to maturity, completeness. But no, that's not what it means. It means proficient and capable. That you might be complete, proficient, that you might be capable, equipped for every good work. And again, it's difficult here, but it, it means having been equipped for every good work. When you become equipped for every good work through the scriptures, you are proficient. That's what it means. When you are equipped, having been equipped, and it's in the passive because you don't equip yourself, you become equipped by the scriptures, by God himself, by the spirit. So when you study the scriptures, study the written word, you become proficient, you become equipped, you become capable. And what are we capable in? Well, what he said beforehand is you firmly believe them. You know, you've learned them from childhood. You're acquainted with them and they make you wise for salvation. How? Through faith. So do we have an uninformed faith or do we have a reasonable faith? Do we believe in something or do we believe in nothing? We, we actually have a faith that is informed. And just because we have faith is not a cop-out. Why do you believe in this? What do you say to this? Why are there so many things in the scriptures? There are so many Old Testament controversies. How did it, what? Do you have any answers? No, I just have faith. Is that our answer? But no, we, we ought to be acquainted with the scriptures and what they say, how they say. And um, we ought to be equipped, but we do that by studying the scriptures together, which is, Another, yet another reason why our intense study of scriptures is so important. It's so important for our entire community, our whole church, together that we are focused on the word, right? And I hope that this little deviation that we're taking and looking at worldviews is highlighting that reality, right? And then I just want to end right here, just, just uh, maybe two or three more minutes I want to look just at Romans 1, 18 through 25, because the 2 Timothy 3 passage is directed toward us. As for you, here's what you ought to do. Now, what about this unbelieving, atheistic, agnostic world on this spectrum of agnosticism with all this craziness happening and all these naturalists, humanists, materialists, agnostics, atheists, well, all these philosophies of worldly things? How are we to understand what's happening in their minds? Romans 1, verses 18 through 25 really helps us understand a proper theology of humanity, the mindset of man that rejects God. Wouldn't you like to know, to kind of get inside their mind, not only their worldview, but the spiritual reality of what's happening in their mind? That's what Romans 1 helps us with, the spiritual reality of what's happening in this type of person's mind. Romans 1, verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So, in other words, truth is there. Truth is a real thing. It is objective. It is something to be found. We are not agnostics in that. We don't know. We can't know. We're not ever, we can't know. There's nothing to know. We can know. I don't know. But no, there is truth. There is something to know. It is there. 
But those who say there is no knowledge suppress it. They keep it. You understand what it means to suppress something, to keep it down. It's there. You're going to push it down. I'm going to step on it my whole life. And actually, the more I push into my agnosticism, the more weight I put on suppressing the truth. And it feels good to them. So they're going to suppress it. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's obvious. It's plain. Why? How do we know that? Because God has shown it to them. This is true. This is true. This is not, oh, it's not plain to them. It doesn't seem plain to them. God's word is telling us that it is plain to them. But what is plain and normal, they have suppressed so that it is no longer plain to them. They don't, they, it's right in front of your face. I, Amanda can testify. Something can be right in front of my face, plain as day. And I say, where is my iPad? I have been looking forever for my iPad. Can you please help me find it? She said, it's right in front of your face. Sometimes you can't see something that's just so plain right in front of your face. This is the truth that's just being suppressed. You see right through it. You can't even see it. That's what the unrighteous mind is doing to truth. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since creation, the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. They are without excuse. Remind yourself of that. There is not innocence in agnosticism. There is not innocence in atheism. There is not innocence in naturalism. They are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They did not give thanks to him. But they, here it is, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's a heart issue, isn't it? Just like we talk about all the time. What is all this stuff about? It's a, it's a heart issue, isn't it? It always comes back down to the heart, both for us and for us. It's a heart issue. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Yeah, now we're talking about atheists, right? Uh, we have arrived at knowledge. We know that there is no God. We are the intelligent ones. And in fact, the more intelligent you are, the more inclined you will be to be an atheist. Join us. Be one of the intelligent ones. But claiming to be wise, in fact, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. And birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. See, it's a heart. To impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. There's some insight into what's happening in these worldviews, in these philosophies happening all around us. So let's just be aware that real spiritual battles are being fought when we have these conversations. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? Uh, but against the spiritual forces uh, at work in the heavenly places. Uh, these, these are real issues happening. These are spiritual battles that we're fighting. And so um, it is good. Uh, that we are being equipped in our minds, being renewed in our minds, that we're protecting ourselves from these philosophies, that we don't accept them ourselves on accident. We don't want to. Uh, but then also being able to enter into conversation with people around us and, and show love and respect to them as we share the gospel with them in the way we live and in the truth of the content of the gospel. And uh, being able to enter into conversation with them and understand the way they're looking at the world is incredibly helpful for us. Okay? Let's pray together. 
God, we're grateful for tonight and for the time that we got to spend together talking tonight um, just about the way that people around us are viewing the world. And um, it, it's helpful to us, but also it, it breaks our heart for so many who are um, viewing the world in such a way that is suppressing the truth. It's not reality. It's, it's not true. We see it on display right before our eyes. It seems everywhere we go, whatever we hear, whatever we listen to, whatever we watch, it's there. It's right in front of us, and it's hard to see. So I pray that you would use this time, use your word, use your spirit within us to equip us, give us boldness and power uh, to share the truth with this world and to uh, just protect us from not falling into these errors and and philosophical ideas that would lead us away from the gospel and lead us away from truth and maturity in Christ. But um, protect us, protect this church, lead us into truth. Let us hold true to the scriptures and I pray that you would continue to bless us and give us help. We pray this together in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys so much.